0: Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a cafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Tuesday, April 30th, and I'm dedicating today's episode to the brilliant filmmaker John Singleton, who passed away yesterday. I'm going to break down a few scenes from my favorite movie of his and speak about just how important he was to the culture. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the Breakdown. The the, 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 the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. Yesterday was a sad and difficult day for the culture, for filmmaking, definitely for all of Los Angeles, but particularly South Central and certainly a major loss for the friends and family of John Singleton. John passed away yesterday after being taken off of life support. Prematurely, a few hours before he actually passed away, we were told that he had already died, but that was apparently because the family had made the decision to take him off of life support, but had not done so yet. John suffered a stroke last week. And while so many people were praying for him and believing that he might pull through, he just didn't make it. And he was 51 years young. And 51 is young. It's, now, it's old enough to have lived a full life, and certainly John did that, but it's young enough to still have decades worth of living and creativity in front of you. I think the loss of John Singleton was acutely felt for a few reasons, but two in particular. First, we all watched John Singleton grow up. He was just 22 years old when he wrote and directed Boys in the Hood. He was 23 when it came out, and that was all the way back in 1991. He was fresh out of college at USC Film School, and it was literally the man's first film, which is mind-blowing because all you have to really do is just think back to what you and I were making when we were 23 years old to think about how absolutely amazing and brilliant John was to have written and directed this film at such a young age. And I want to talk about Boys in the Hood for a few minutes. It's one of my top five favorite films of all time. And, you know, we all have top five lists like that. But Boys in the Hood has literally been in my top five for nearly 30 straight years now. Now, I own this on VHS And for you young people who don't know what that is, and yes, I'm serious, way, way, way back in the day, we used to have these rectangular cassettes that were about the width of a box of tissue, and inside of those black cassettes was a roll of film that had a movie on it. Now, it sounds wild to have to explain this, But my youngest kids, they never really even used DVDs. It's now all about Netflix and YouTube and streaming for them. So VHS tapes were way before their time. And I owned Boys in the Hood on VHS. I owned it on DVD. And now I also own it on iTunes. I have a poster to film up in our living room. That's how much I love it. And my favorite film critic, the late Roger Ebert, back in the day he called Boys in the Hood not only the best movie of the year, which was a big deal for him, but he also said it was one of the best movies and most important films in years. Of course, he gave it his coveted four stars, two thumbs up. But had it not come out in 1991, I truly think the film and the entire cast and crew would have all won and at least been nominated for Oscars. But it was so ahead of its time. John Singleton was literally the first African-American filmmaker to ever be nominated for Best Director. He was the first African-American to ever be nominated for Best Screenplay. And to this day, John Singleton remains the youngest person ever nominated for Best Director. He should have won both of those awards. And had the film been made in this generation, the whole cast would have been nominated. Now, I've seen Boys in the Hood dozens of times I'm probably nearing a hundred times and it never gets old to me I think it was the first movie ever to show the beauty and the pain of our families and our community and it wasn't all pain and I think that's what we all know about the hood the hood is never all pain it's never all bad now let's be real the hood is hard But John, even in showing the hard edges of the hood, he did it with nuance and care and precision. He did it in little ways, like in the film, you have these characters, uh, 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 Doughboy and Ricky. Uh, The teenage versions are played by Ice Cube and Morse Chestnut. And John showed what it was like for them to be half-brothers, where they had different dads. And they had a, a mother that was somewhat abusive but probably didn't know it and all of us have seen that before John showed how hard it was to escape the hood he showed how hard it was for parents and children to resist the temptations of the cycle of violence and John did it in a way that had never been shown on screen before John Singleton showed the bloody and emotional cost of violence without it being gratuitous but Boys in the Hood was so much more than that I don't know if any film before or really even after Boys in the Hood had a more beautiful and complex father-son relationship on screen Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett uh, we called him Larry Fishburne back in the day Lawrence Fishburne and Angela Bassett played the divorced parents of a young son, Trey. And John Singleton just showed all the beautiful, complex nuances of those relationships. Even just the idea of parents having shared custody. We'd never seen that before. But my favorite parts of the film, it's all of the conversations between Lawrence Fishburne and his son. From how he teaches his son about the responsibilities of doing his chores to a tender talk that he had with him at the beach about having principles and understanding the birds and the bees, and I want to play a clip for us from that beach scene. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, you know, again back then we called him Larry. Uh, he took his young son to the beach. Now the film has two versions of the son. They have an elementary school version of a son and a high school age version. This is the elementary school-age version of Trey. And they're just at the beach, Trey and his father, Furious Styles, which is an amazing character and an amazing film name. Trey and his father, Furious Styles, are just talking. And I remember when I saw this scene, having grown up without a father, just thinking, that's the type of dad I wish I had and this is the type of dad I wish I could become someday. Here's the scene. So tell me, you a leader or a follower,
0: hmm? I'm a leader. Okay then, what's the three rules? Break it down for me. And hey, think before you answer. I got it. I always look a person in the eye. Do that to respect you better. Two words, to never be afraid to ask you for anything isn't necessary. And the last one I think was to never respect anybody who doesn't respect you back. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. What do you know about sex? I know a little bit. Oh, yeah? What little bit is that? I know. I take a girl, stick my thing in it, and nine months later, a baby comes out. (laughs) You think that's it? Basically, yeah. Well, remember this. Any fool with a dick can make a baby, but only a real man can raise his children. I wasn't but 17 when your mother was pregnant with you. All of my friends was dropping out of high school, hanging out on the corners, in front of liquor stores, getting drunk, getting high. Some of them was robbing people, some of them was even killing people. Hey, you remember my friend Marcus? Yeah. He got into robbing people, wanted me to come along and join him, but I was like, nah, man. You getting ready to have a son? I knew you was gonna be a boy. Anyway, I wanted to be somebody you could look up to.
1: I absolutely love that scene. It's just sweet and kind of goofy and tender, which is important because the movie is often hard what all of us know is that life is never all hard or all tender. It's a mix of both, and John knew that. Now, they have other great father son scenes together. Like there's one where Trey brings his dad a plate of food from the cookout down the street. And it's a scene like that with a plate full of grilled food wrapped in aluminum foil that was just so familiar. And it just did something to humanize and dignify black life in a way that was so fresh and new. Now there's another scene where Lawrence Fishburne gives Trey a haircut. And we all know what that's like. We've all, fathers have all given our son's haircut. I have a, a pair of clippers in the house and, you know, I used to cut my son's hair for years. And so in this scene where Lawrence Fishburne is giving Trey a haircut, he also kind of gets in his son's business about his love life and, there's another really painful scene where Fishburne grieves with his son over the murder of his best friend. And I tell you what, at the end of that movie, uh, John Singleton decided to send Trey to Morehouse and his girlfriend, played by Nia Long, to Spellman. And that simple little act had a huge impact on me and on so many of us. And I think it was really the first time that I'd even heard of Morehouse College which is where I eventually went to college and my wife went to Spelman. And so that was John Singleton. It was those little quirks that he wrote into that movie. But there's a scene that I want to play for us that I think is particularly special and timely. And what's wild is that this scene where Lawrence Fishburne, who I think in the film is a mortgage broker, is explaining gentrification to his son and his son's best friend, Ricky, And what's wild is that just yesterday on the breakdown, I played a verse from Jay-Z, which was 28 years after this film was made, where Jay-Z is explaining the same thing that Lawrence Fishburne is about to explain in this scene that I'm going to play for you. And I want to play this clip for us. At first, the boys are meeting Lawrence Fishburne in his office. Then he takes them down the block to show them something. And it's there that Fishburn basically does what this show does. He breaks something down for them. He breaks down gentrification. We're going to play that scene for you now, all right? Break it, break, break it down.
0: Break it down. Break it down. Would you two knuckleheads come on? Why do y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? Bill, What are y'all, Amos and Andy? You step in and he's fetches? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black, Black black-owned with black money, just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling that crack rock, and shit. Well, how do you think the Crack Rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on a TV, that's what you see, black people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Selling the rock, right. pushing the rock, yeah. pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. It wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa. And it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. Now, if you want to talk about uh, guns... Why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? I'll tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit, but they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Yeah. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Yeah. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? I'm shoot the motherfucker if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future.
1: Huh? Huh? That scene is so powerful. And that was all written and directed by John Singleton. Listen, he was unapologetically black, and he went to great lengths to tell stories about Black people from a uniquely human perspective that was absolutely missing at the time back in 1991. And in some ways, it's still missing too often in Hollywood. And John was a vocal critic to this day, really up until the year that he passed. John was a vocal critic of the limitations and challenges of Black writers and directors in Hollywood. And his advocacy will be sorely missed. And I'll close us today with this thought, and I think of it often when the leaders and the best among us pass on. We should mourn, and we have to give ourselves space to mourn. But we should also be grateful that we got to experience the gifts and the wonders from the mind, from the heart, and soul of John Singleton. Now, I only spoke about Boys in the Hood, and, you know, his film, Boys in the Hood and all of his films were really kind of part of the way that we connected with him. But John did so much more than Boys in the Hood. He produced so many more films and television shows, and he jumpstarted so many careers, not just on the screen, but on the set and behind the cameras as well. And he'll definitely be missed. The, 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 the Breakdown. I breakdown. Breakdown. thank you all for making it all the way through this episode of The Breakdown. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, we'll be right back here tomorrow on every single weekday breaking down important news stories and issues and we'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcast or Spotify and please share this podcast with your friends and family. Our next big goal is to get to 100,000 subscribers and we're just not going to get there without you. I think we just crossed 50,000 subscribers so we're about halfway to our first big goal of having 100,000 subscribers. Have you left a review yet? On Apple Podcasts, we have nearly 5,000 five-star reviews, but we still want to hear from you. So please leave your best review when you get some time. It's going to take you 30 seconds. Go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever app you use. Click on the the part where you can leave your best review, all right? Of course, thank you so much to the nearly 30,000 founding members of the North Star, whose generosity even makes this podcast possible. I love and appreciate each of you so very much. Now, if you love this podcast and you want to support our work or you want to see the show notes and transcripts for each episode, we'd love it if you'd consider becoming a founding member of our community. And you can do that now at thenorthstar.com. There we not only have our podcast podcast, but hundreds of original articles and stories and commentaries from some of the leading scholars and thinkers and journalists in the world. Lastly, I want to give a shout-out to our podcasting director and senior producer, Willis, for his hard work on this and every episode. Take care, everybody.
0: For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side? Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mm. And then a fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mm-mm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. Ba I participate in McDonald's.